It's the Popcorn Playbook, a critical take on the wide world of sports movies. We're losing! Teamwork, guys, more teamwork. They're burying us alive! Eddie Shore? Oh, piss on Eddie Shore! Old-time hockey? Piss on old-time hockey! If I say name a baseball movie, what's the first one that comes to mind? Pride of the Yankees, Eight Men Out, Field of Dreams, there's a ton to choose from. Same with football and basketball movies. But if I say name a hockey movie, chances are the first one that comes to mind for most people is Slapshot. There are other popular hockey movies, of course. Miracle, Mighty Ducks, Mystery Alaska. What's with all the M titles? Net Worth. Okay, there's a non-M hockey title, and maybe we'll talk about that one someday. But Slapshot has really cemented itself as the classic hockey movie, and one of the classic sports films, period. I got my eye on the three of you guys. You put one thing, you're out of this game. Now I run a clean game here. I have any trouble, I'll suspend you. I'm listening to a fucking song! Paul Newman stars as Reggie Dunlop, player coach for the Charlestown Chiefs, a struggling minor league hockey team on the verge of collapse. Uh, the Chiefs are at home tonight against Cyanusport at the War Memorial at 8. Good seats are still available. The Chiefs are based on the real-life Johnstown Jets, a minor league team from Johnstown, Pennsylvania. And many of the actors in the movie were players from the Jets because it was easier to teach hockey players how to act than it was to teach actors how to skate. In fact, Al Pacino was very interested in playing Reggie Dunlop, but when the director asked Pacino if he could skate, Pacino thought he was joking. And that pretty much ended any chances of Pacino starring in Slapshot. Don't waste my motherfucking time! But Newman could skate well enough to handle the role. And Michael Onkeen, who plays the Chiefs' top scorer, Ned Braden, had played hockey at the University of New Hampshire. Most of the other Chiefs were played by real-life hockey players, like Johnstown's Jeff Carlson, Steve Carlson, and Dave Hansen, who, of course, would portray the now-iconic Hansen brothers. You guys are Hansons. Fucking machine took my quarter. Who are you? Reg Dunlop, the coach. Grab your freaking gear and let's get going. Okay, come on, Steve, let's go. Took my quarter! You think they show Speed Racer here? Besides the Hansons, the other thing Slapshot is famous, or infamous for, is its colorful language. Dunlop, you suck cock. All I can get. I'm Sorry, gonna walk please, down that stinking aisle, I'm gonna open this faggot bathrobe and wiggle my dick at him. Hand Suzanne sucks pussy! God, maybe Braden's a faggot, did you ever think of that? You crazy? He has a big cock! Slapshot was released in 1977, when this kind of vulgarity still wasn't common in a Hollywood film. A few years afterwards, Paul Newman told an interviewer, Ever since Slapshot, I've been swearing more. I knew I had a problem one day when I turned to my daughter and said, Would you please pass the fucking salt? At the time of its release, Time Magazine's Richard Schickel wrote, There is nothing in the history of movies to compare with Slapshot, for consistent, low-level obscenity of expression. 
Now, I think that's going a little too far. I guess Schickel never saw pink flamingos, for instance. But Slapshot certainly is a raw, foul-mouthed, no-holds-barred, locker-room-talk kind of movie. A guy movie, so to speak. In fact, Maxim Magazine named Slapshot the number one guy movie of all time, beating out The Godfather, Goodfellas, and Animal House, among others. So would it surprise you to learn that this raunchy, testosterone-laden guy movie was written by a woman? Nancy Dowd wrote the screenplay for Slapshot. She was inspired by her brother Ned Dowd, who played for the Johnstown Jets and would tell her all sorts of wild stories, many of which found their way into the script. Ned himself appears briefly at the end of the film as the dreaded goon Ogie Oglethorpe. Oglethorpe. Ogie Oglethorpe? You don't know Oglethorpe? But while all that crass men's locker room sort of dialogue may have originally come from Ned's own experiences, they were all filtered through his sister Nancy and crafted by her to create the script. What I want to posit here is that a woman's perspective brought a fresh and sophisticated take on the evolving roles of gender and sexuality in the 1970s. While I wouldn't go so far as to call Slapshot a feminist film, I do think there's more going on here than just another guy movie. Hi, Ogie! Buy a soda after the game? Aside from movies like A League of Their Own that are about women's sports, and there aren't a whole lot of those anyway, a sports movie will frequently only have one significant female role. Usually she's the love interest of one of the players or coaches. Talia Shire in Rocky, Barbara Hershey in Hoosiers, Rene Russo in both Major League and Tin Cup, and the list goes on and on. Sometimes, just to be a little different, the one significant female role might be that of someone's daughter. Think Bad News Bears, Remember the Titans, Moneyball, Trouble with the Curve... And then, of course, there are also plenty of sports movies that don't even have one significant female role. Think Miracle or Rudy, for instance. But Slapshot features several women quite prominently, and not in the generic love interest or daughter way either. First, there's Francine, Reggie's separated wife, who epitomizes the liberated woman of the times, focused on her career and exuding confidence in herself. Ah, Francine, you look terrific. You're right. Francine has completely moved on with her life. Instead, it's Reggie, the man, who's still clinging to the notion of them getting back together. Jesus Christ, Francine. I think about you all the time. Nothing is ever over. Oh, it's so goddamn busy. I mean, I... I was thinking about you the other day, and I was trying to imagine you when you were through with hockey, and I couldn't. There was nobody there. What are you going to do? I'm going to come back to you. Too little, too late. (laughs) Francine doesn't need a man to support her or make her feel fulfilled. If anything, Reggie is the one who comes across as the needy one, the one who needs someone else to feel complete. There's an interesting moment when the Chiefs players are watching a bullying game show on TV, and the male contestant is asked if he'd like to say hi to anybody. Reggie and his star player Ned make a bet on what he'll say. Before Larry has his one chance at our jackpot goal, is there anyone you would like to say hello to back home, Larry? 
Ten bucks, he says, all the guys oh, at work. No, Ten bucks, he says, white and kids. I'm with Brady. Right into the camera and say hello to anybody. Well, I like to say hi to all the guys down at work if I can. All right. <laughs> as incidental as this moment might seem, the bet shows a significant contrast between Reggie and Ned. Reggie, at heart, is a guy who believes in love, marriage, family. That's what he wants, whether he'll admit it or not. Ned is more cynical, putting the guys ahead of love or marriage. And speaking of Ned, his wife Lil is another unusual sports movie character. A spunky, smart, independent-minded woman who loathes being a hockey player's wife. But she lacks the confidence of someone like Francine, who extricated herself from that lifestyle. So instead, Lil winds up wallowing in her own misery. You're bullshit! You're really bullshit! You're drunk! You're right! He's bullshit! Yeah? Well, he and I are the only decent items in here. That's great. Why should she give a shit what other people think of her? She's just scrapping. Lil really does love Ned, but she's frustrated. She isn't content to be like the other players' wives, the ones who sit together at all the games, jabbering on and on, because they have nothing better to do. I thought I'd get Jerry one of those great ideas of the world says. You know, you can look up the ideas alphabetically, like arts, mechanics, philosophy. Yeah. Johnny always says you can just screw so much and drink so much. And when the players are away on the road, the wives have nothing to do but sit around and drink and commiserate about how lonely they are without their husbands. But Lil refuses to acquiesce to this emotionally dependent kind of role. Oh, I'm getting tipsy. I've been shit-faced for the past week. I only drink in the afternoon. Or before a game. Or when Johnny's away. Me too. I'm not tired, I can't stand it. Oh, that's terrible. They're all lonely and miserable, but the others seem to concede that a certain helplessness just comes with the job of being an athlete's wife. Lil refuses to be so submissive. Her drinking and misery doesn't derive from resignation but from frustration with herself for not taking more initiative to do something about it, to be more like Francine. There's TV, radio, mirror, or modern screen. You were married to him for about a hundred years when it's all over. He's completely off his rocker. I left my husband, too. Really? I'm only halfway out the revolving door, you know what I mean? Oh, it's lousy at first. You think you're dying, but then it's fabulous. I mean, you become a new woman. Yeah. You know, Reggie told me. You gotten terrific since you left him. He said that? For such a notorious guy movie, here's a scene of two women talking enthusiastically about leaving their husbands and moving on with their lives. It's probably also one of the few scenes in the movie that can be shown on TV uncensored. Another intriguing female character is Suzanne the wife of an opposing team's goalie that Reggie hooks up with on the road. Now, just like Lil, Suzanne got tired of sitting around and feeling sorry for herself while her husband was on the road, but in Suzanne's case, she did something about it. You are the first man I've slept with since I left Tamaran. Oh, Suzanne, beautiful woman like you. Oh, I've been sleeping with women. Are you shocked? No. You want to know how it happened? 
No, that's okay. No, that's all right, because I have to tell it in court anyway. Every time Hanrahan went out on the road, I would go over to this wife's house, and we would get drunk, and we would talk about how depressed and lonely we were without the guys. Every week, blah, blah, blah. Then one night we were talking about how we hated the life and how we had never done much of anything ourselves. And I don't know why, really. We were like kids. We started playing with one another. We were drunk as usual. And the next week we did it sober. And it was terrific. Now keep in mind, we're talking about a film from 1977. Up till then, movies with LGBTQ characters were few and far between, and even when a non-heterosexual character was included, they were often used either for comical effect or to show someone who was confused and abnormal. But here, Suzanne talks about her experiences without any embarrassment or shame. The ones who are embarrassed are the men. Reggie is so caught off guard, he's uncharacteristically taciturn. And Suzanne's husband completely flipped out when Suzanne told him the news. When Hanrahan found out about it, he went crazy. He, he said, if I was a dyke, that made him a queer. And he started slapping me around. I ended up in the hospital. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, I'm on the lam. I'm hiding out. We play him next week, you know. Oh, God. I'm so sick of those games. It seems so childish. A woman discovers another side of her sexuality, and a man is too insecure with his own to accept it. It's a very believable moment, but it doesn't seem like what you'd expect from a sports movie. And I'm dubious that a male screenwriter would have included it. Unfortunately, it doesn't feel like this scene gets talked about enough or really taken seriously when people discuss Slapshot. Maybe it's because so much of the rest of the film is so over-the-top comical. But I think this moment is extremely interesting and insightful for its time, and still very relevant today. Who owns a club anyway? Uh, I don't know. You don't know? What do you mean? A corporation owns Who cares? You get your check. That's the spirit, Reg. That's it. One of the running narrative threads throughout the film is the question of who the chief's owner is. None of the players know, not even Reggie, although he lies and pretends that he's very friendly with the owner. Hey, where the hell all this beer come from? It's from the owner. Huh? The owner? Yeah. How's his family, Reg? Yeah, I told me to tell you he's really glad that we're winning because it's going to make it a lot easier for him to close that Florida deal. You find the guy named? Oh, yeah. Oh, he's a neat guy. He's looking to get his bonus. Naturally, Reggie's fictitious owner is a man. And of course, the other players accept this without question. No one even considers that the owner might be a woman until Reggie shows up at her house. Hi, I, uh, I'm Reg Dunlop. The uh, Chiefs came to see your husband. Oh, yes? I'm Anita McCambridge. How do you do? Hi. Do you think you can help with these? Uh, yeah. Thanks. Mom, I'm late. I gotta go. Michael, you're gonna stay in the yard, you're gonna put your jacket on, and you're gonna carry one of these in first. Where's your husband? He's in puppy heaven. I own the Chiefs. Reggie usually has a silver tongue, but here he's caught speechless for a moment. Um, well, to tell the truth, Mrs. McCambridge, the reason... Anita. Anita? 
Things perk up when she tells him to call her Anita. Having to refer to her as Mrs. McCainbridge, having to treat her as his superior, which of course she is, would probably have driven Reggie crazy. But if he can call her by her first name, well, then she's just an ordinary woman. And if there's one thing Reggie knows, or at least thinks he knows, it's how to talk to women. And Reggie's goal here is to sweet-talk Anita into selling the Chiefs rather than dissolving the team. So you can sell us real easy then, huh? I could probably get some interest yet. Oh, boy. That's great. Oh, that's just great, Anita. But you have to understand that I couldn't make enough of a profit to have a sale be worthwhile. My accountant tells me I'm better off folding the team, taking a tax loss. You mean you could sell us, but you won't? I could probably sell you, but I can't. Much to Reggie's surprise and dismay, it turns out that a businesswoman can be just as cold, calculating, and greedy as a businessman. Nancy Dowd said this was the only scene she worried about while writing the script. She told the New York Times, The only scene I thought twice about writing was making the team's rich, uncaring owner a woman. I worried about people saying I had made a sexist statement, but I've seen that woman's attitude so many times. I think Dowd made the right decision to keep the character a woman, and I think it would have been more sexist and cliche to have softened Anita McCambridge's character, to have her so easily persuaded by a man and to cave in to Reggie. Instead, Anita comes across like a typical sports team owner who just happens to be a woman. And since we're on the subject of cold, uncaring women sports teams owners, it feels like a good time to mention Marge Schott. If you aren't familiar with her, she owned the Cincinnati Reds from 1984 until 1999, when she was forced by Major League Baseball to sell the team. During her 15 years as Reds owner, she made numerous racist comments against African Americans and Asians, anti-Semitic comments that included commending Hitler, and sexist comments like saying only fruits wear earrings. Ironically, she even argued against women working in baseball, saying, I don't really think baseball is a woman's place, honey. I really don't. I think it should be left to the boys. If Nancy Dowd was concerned that Anita McCambridge might be a negative female portrayal, at least she didn't have to write the Marge Shop story. Anita McCambridge could be considered the villain of Slapshot, which is an interesting gender reversal to have the villain be a woman. We'd see the same sort of thing a decade later with the evil Rachel Phelps in Major League, but outside of soap operas or Disney wicked stepmothers, women typically weren't the villains before Slapshot. And that isn't the only traditional gender reversal we see in the film. King's over. Yeah, fuck. I lose my gloves. Shirt. Shirt. Shit. There's a running joke with goalie Dennis Lemieux about how poor his English is. So here, during a poker game, he confuses shirt with blouse. One of the other players makes sure to correct him, of course, so that he is aware that men definitely do not wear blouses. Again, it's a small thing, but it's the kind of joke that I don't know if a male writer would come up with. Something else men typically aren't known for is watching soap operas, yet the Chiefs players do. I sold your car. My 260C? Yes. 
That was my car. Alex, don't you remember? When you had the amnesia, you gave me power of attorney. I forgot. That cunt is no good. Nice talk. I've botched up everything, haven't I? She do that on purpose to make him crazy, so he don't know what he's doing. Cynthia Pierce is having an affair with Carl Bartlett. She's lying to him. Oh, Alex. Now, part of the explanation for this would be that, unlike people with a typical 9-to-5 job, their games are at night, so they're off during the daytime when there's not much else to do but watch soap operas. But again, it's another subtle way in which the movie plays with the traditional traits of men and women. And they're pummeling each other! And, wait a minute! And Ned Braden is skating out on the center of the ice. He's not fighting, no! Ned Braden is starting to take off articles of his uniform! The climax of the film, and the climax of these gender reversals, is when Ned performs a striptease on the ice during the championship game. Once again, it's traditionally women who are associated with stripteases, but here Ned gleefully strips down to his jockstrap, much to the delight of the women in the crowd. I don't think a heterosexual male screenwriter would have come up with all these moments that skewer our traditional perceptions of men and women. And I think they elevate Slapshot to more than just a hilarious comedy. As I said at the beginning of the episode, I'm not trying to hold up Slapshot as a model of feminist or LGBTQ cinema. It still has plenty of typically sexist moments, too. You ought to cut the costumes up a little higher on the thigh there so you can see more ass. You make me sick when you speak, Morris. And during the parade at the end of the film, you can clearly see them pass a movie theater showing Deep Throat. So I don't think Nancy Dowd had an agenda to completely turn masculinity upside down. But I do think she was trying to honestly capture the changing attitudes towards gender and sexuality at the time. So while you still get some conservative macho pigs, you also get a lot of progressive and open-minded characters as well. It's not Chantel Ackerman or Yvonne Rayner, but for a 1977 Hollywood sports comedy, it's surprisingly perceptive and self-aware. And it also remained one of Paul Newman's personal favorite films. Really original character, original writing. And I don't think anything is vulgar if it's truly funny. I love this picture. I really thought it was uh, a very unusual and original film. A couple years after Slapshot, Nancy Dowd would work uncredited on the screenplay for North Dallas 40, another sports film that took a bold, honest look at professional sports, and I think one of the better football movies. Now, just a thought here, but maybe we need more women writing sports films. Thanks for listening to the Popcorn Playbook. Believe it or not, there have been two sequels to Slapshot. Both are obscure direct-to-video movies that really have no carryover from the original, except that they both feature the Hanson brothers. I've seen the first of these sequels, and yeah, I'd say you can skip it. Anyway, 
As we move on to the next episode, remember what a famous athlete said. Don't look back. Something might be gaining on you.